Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. Candidates have historically overlooked Asian American and Pacific Islander voters. One of the biggest stories from the 2020 presidential election was the flip of Georgia from red to blue, a win that was partially attributed to the state's changing demographics. We're seeing now with their growth in swing states, with how much the last two years has mobilized them, that they are going to be really consequential and harder to ignore. Among the citizens boosting turnout in the Senate races are Asian Americans and Pacific Islander voters. So we polled 2,000 Asian American Pacific Islander adults in the U.S., and we found that the trauma of the last years with the fear and the violence of the pandemic and anti-Asian hate crimes, and also this intense distrust of Donald Trump that's bled into distrust of the Republican Party is making API voters a really cohesive political group that's just gaining more power heading into 2022. I'm Jeremy Siegel. This is Politico Dispatch. And today... I'm Rishika Dagyala, and I'm a digital strategy editor at Politico. Rishika Dagyala on how the past year and a half has reshaped the political identities and influence of AAPI voters. This demographic group is so expansive, right? It's the entire diaspora. It's got over 50 ethnic groups, hundreds of languages. And so to to treat them as a monolith is just irresponsible for politicians, for journalists. But we saw that despite sort of the tensions between groups within the AAPI umbrella, despite the different policy kind of competing policy interests that has been happening for years and years, the last few years specifically and the sort of threat environment has created this solidarity unlike anything we've seen before among the community, right? Some people say it's reminiscent only of 9-11 organizing, post-9-11 organizing, when anyone who looked brown was targeted. And we're kind of seeing that kind of community solidarity and this mobilization out of shared fear of violence and discrimination coming back right now. Well, it has been in the national spotlight, but even that doesn't seem to be helping. An upcoming report from Stop AAPI Hate says attacks are not slowing down. NBC Barry's Lily Tannis in San Francisco with an update on the lingering fear that's being felt in the Asian American community. We have been reporting on the fear and violence environment that's emerged around Asian Americans, Pacific Islanders, especially over the last two years with the pandemic, with the rise in anti-Asian hate crimes. Um, you know, this community has become so hyper-visible in a way that we hadn't really seen for a long time. And so we really wanted to see whether the last two years had an impact beyond just the immediate, you know, sort of coverage of violent incidents that's been happening, coverage of responses from politicians in Atlanta. We wanted to see what is the sort of long-term effect of the chaos of the pandemic and also this sort of simultaneous growth of their political power that's been happening, right? Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders are the fastest growing 
racial group. They have, um, you know, really become consequential in swing states like Georgia and Arizona. We saw that in the 2020 election, and we are sort of seeing that teed up as we look at really prominent local races, as we look at the 2022 midterms. So we just wanted to put a marker on what are the really big key points that we can we can take away about this community and how they're going to be voting in the future. So Politico, in partnership with Morning Consult, conducted this polling looking kind of at what you just laid out, how the past year and a half with the pandemic and the violence and and turbulence we've seen over that time, how it's influenced the way Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders are thinking about their political identities and and their identities in general. Um, What did you find in this polling? So we found that Roughly two in 10 AAPI adults were more likely to identify with this broader AAPI community label now than they were before the pandemic. And this is pretty notable because usually when you ask people to break apart, all right, do you identify more with API, this very broad label, or your nationality, your specific nationality, people tend to be either evenly split or or go nationality first. It's very much a community that you know, I'm Indian, for example, and whenever my family is asked, you know, how do you identify? We say Indian. We don't really say Asian American. And that's true for a lot of other groups within the diaspora, too. So this is this is pretty significant, this willingness to uh, identify as part of this bigger picture or this broader group. And it's it's really key to building electoral clout, experts were saying in our interviews, because it's really weird to see that much movement in such short time because Asian American identity is so politicized. Another top line we're seeing here that kind of plays into that same idea is 65% of API adults said violence was a major threat during the pandemic. 62% discrimination was a major threat. And then 50% said um, white supremacy was a major threat. And so those were ranked so highly, again, kind of pointing to how fear and anger are really activating the community right now. This is a different context for mobilization that politicians and parties need to be really thinking crucially about when they're doing outreach efforts. One stat that also stuck out to me in in the polling was that more than 70 percent of people who were polled said they hold former President Trump responsible um, for discrimination against the AAPI community. What do you think that tells us about the political ramifications of the past year and a half, two years, especially when you consider how central the Trump brand has become to the GOP? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think this says a lot more for the path of the Republican Party than anything else. You just noted that Trump is still very much a central figure in GOP politics. And people are really closely watching outreach efforts here because, you know, even Asian Republicans, um, we had interviewed Cliff Lee, who's the head of National Committee of Asian American Republicans. And he was saying, you know, even the people that he works with felt really betrayed by Trumpian politics, by his anti-immigrant, anti-China rhetoric, especially as it ramped up during the pandemic, especially as more conservative politicians started leaning into that. And that hasn't gone away just because Trump is out of office. It's very much still something that is distancing Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders, even Republicans. And it's really going to be about, you know, how they sort of toe this line of, you know, making real substantive 
messaging changes along with policy changes that bring Asian Republicans back onto their side. Because another point here is that, you know, there is a huge distrust not only of Trump, but of how the GOP handles major policy priorities along with Democrats. And so those two things go hand in hand, that they the GOP really needs to get back trust on policy as well as their messaging, um, pushing Trump to the side. Hmm. Is there anything that you feel as we've been having more conversations about this recently, anything that's surfaced for you looking at this polling and reporting on AAPI voters that you think is missing from these conversations? I think one thing is we've only just started to have conversations about how to be very intentional and specific when we're talking about this very big Asian American Pacific Islander umbrella, right? When we think about Asian Americans, the face of that is usually East Asian. And we kind of forget to talk about South Asians, Southeast Asians. And now we've lumped in the Pacific Islander, Native Hawaiian kind of groups under this larger group as well. And that's happened only very recently. So I think we still are having to figure out how to hold space in talking about this uniting and solidarity that we're seeing because of the fear and violence that's happened over the last two years and and how there's going to be more cohesiveness among AAPI voters as a voting bloc, but also understanding, you know, there's still different communities and you have to be able to understand which AAPIs are in your district. What does the AAPI makeup look like in your district? What do they care about? You know, which communities are more targeted by violence right now than other communities? And just showing a sort of cultural competency and understanding in these outreach efforts, right? You're, you know what you have to translate resources to as media organizations. You understand, you know, how different some of these responses are going to be among you know, who trusts the GOP, who trusts Democrats, who blames Trump, who doesn't, right? Being able to really hold space for understanding generational differences, nationality differences, even as we're talking about this broader voting block. So I think something that we did with this poll was really drilling down into the AAPI community and really holding space for those distinctions and and putting all our resources into going as detailed as possible that I haven't seen kind of replicated among a lot of news organizations. Rishika Dugyala, thanks so much for talking with me. Thank you. Also today, Dr. Anthony Fauci is praising the results of a late-stage clinical trial of an experimental antiviral drug from Merck that public health experts hope could open a new front in the U.S.'s pandemic response. The company on Friday announced that they'll seek FDA approval for the drug, which can be taken as a pill, quote, as soon as possible, after encouraging performance in the trial. Speaking to CNN over the weekend, the nation's top infectious disease experts celebrated the fact that the drug decreased the risk of hospitalizations and death by 50%. But he also discouraged vaccine-hesitant Americans from counting on being able to take the drug instead of getting their COVID-19 shot. And former President Donald Trump says that if he formally enters the 2024 presidential race, he does not expect to face Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. And if he does, he expects to beat him. In an interview with Yahoo Finance, Trump said he believed that, quote, most people would drop out 
if he entered the race, including DeSantis, an ally of the former president who's been considered a potential candidate in the Republican presidential primary. Neither the former president nor DeSantis have formally entered the race, though it's been widely reported that Trump seeks to return to the White House, and the Florida governor last week announced he would be seeking re-election. Today's episode included music composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. Be sure to subscribe to Politico Dispatch if you haven't yet, and if you can, leave a rating and review. I'm Jeremy Siegel. Thanks for listening.